Hello and welcome to Fidelity Next, a podcast for post-secondary students, brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada, where we'll provide you with the tools you need to navigate your impending careers successfully in today's landscape. Today we're focusing on early career roles that are available in investment management here at Fidelity, along with some insights from two members of Fidelity Canada's investment management team. Joe Overdevest, Portfolio Manager and Director of Research, and Nick Belmare, Equity Research Analyst, join host Quinn Flaherty on today's show. Joe and Nick share their thoughts on how a recent grad can get started in this industry, what they love about their jobs, and they'll share their personal career stories, which started with co-op opportunities. Joe, Nick, and Quinn also look at why Fidelity is considered a leader in investment management. Opportunities are available for co-op placements in 2022, so please head to the careers section of fidelity.ca for more information. And as always, fidelity.ca slash next for more information on future live Fidelity Next webcasts. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fidelity Next. My name is Quinn Flaherty, and I am the Research and Thought Leadership Manager here at Fidelity Investments Canada. And as always, I'm super excited to be your host of today's Fidelity Next webcast. And I can promise you that this is a very, very special webcast, and you are going to get some very valuable information because we are going to be talking about a part of the Fidelity business that is super important. And it's really, we're going to be talking about the investment management industry. And of course, as the title of today's show shows, we're going to be talking about early career roles. We're going to talk about how the investment management team at Fidelity is structured, their role within the business, and we're going to speak to one of the hiring managers about what they look for in potential candidates and hires on the investment management team. And I'm very excited to have two exceptional colleagues of mine from the investment management team joining me today, Joe Overdeves and Nicholas Bellamere. Welcome to Fidelity Next. How are you? Thanks a lot, Quinn. Very excited to be here. Doing great. Thanks for having us. Well, very happy to have you here. As I said, not a lot of time, so perfectly just jump right into it. And Joe, maybe I could point the first question to you. I think it's important for today's conversation to really shape what really is the investment management industry. And then within Fidelity, what is the role of the investment management team within our business? Quinn, we we take our responsibility quite seriously because it's, it's a big responsibility. Essentially, the investment management industry is we take people's investments, and so maybe it's investments for their education, for their pension, for their RSP, for something they want to buy later on, and we essentially want to grow that wealth or that money for them. And we have to make decisions to to go into maybe bonds, equities. Sometimes we will go long a stock. In some cases, we even short. We have hedge fund managers as well. But essentially, we're doing our analysis. We're deciding is Amazon the company we should invest in on behalf of our clients? Is it Tesla? Is it Ritzia? And we dive into financial analysis, talking to CEOs, talking to industry experts, and essentially on behalf of our clients, decide where they, we should invest our money in generally the stock market. Well, it sounds like there's a lot that's involved in that decision-making process. 
Part of that being, is it equities, is it bonds, and what's that balance? But also picking the companies themselves. Maybe that can bring Nick into the conversation here. You know, Nick, as an equity research analyst, maybe you can speak to your role within the investment management team. And then more specifically, when it comes to that bottom-up research of picking companies over the other, what are some of the day-to-day activities as part of your role? The role of the analyst is to help the portfolio managers invest in your sector. So the, a lot of our portfolio managers are generalists. They can invest across the entire market. More focused on one sector, you become the expert. You're deep in the weeds. And so you, at the end of the day, you should be able to answer the question, basically, to make money in my sector in the next 12 to 18 months, you know, we need to own uh, these subsectors. We should not own these ones. And then we should own company XYZ. And here's why. Uh, it seems like a simple output, but there's a lot of work that comes into it. And I would basically split probably might into three large buckets. One would be information gathering. So that's where we go to conferences. We host calls with management. We talk to industry experts. If you're like a retail analyst, you probably spend some time at the mall <laughs> exploring the new store concepts, testing products, and so on. And then the second bucket would be analyzed. So that's where you take all this information and that's more kind of around the spreadsheet, right? What does it mean for numbers? What does it mean for future revenue, future earnings, and ultimately the value of the stock in the future? And the last bucket would be communicate because you can do all this work, but ultimately you want to have an impact on the client portfolio. So that's where you will communicate with the portfolio managers through written notes, through one-on-one meetings, through large group meetings, uh, your findings, and ultimately answering the questions that I stated at the beginning. Maybe I could just pinpoint when you talk about information collecting, being in the field, I think you might have mentioned that. The, the title of this webcast is really, you know, at the table. Do you have some stories about, you know, being in the field, talking with business leaders or the tables that you're making these decisions that maybe are top of mind for you that might be interesting to today's audience? Yeah, I think this is the, the best part of the job, right? It's being across from leaders of industry, visionaries. They kind of walk you through what their motivation is, how they see the future of their industry. So uh, through my career so far, you know, I've had the chance to meet with many of those. Like I remember still a the CEO of Shopify, Toby Lutke, just, you know, he came around, he came in our office when they were doing the roadshow for the IPO, telling us how he initially wanted to sell snowboards online, but he realized it was so hard to build an e-commerce as a small merchant that he decided the business should pivot to being a platform to enable those, uh, you know, the e-commerce. And that, that proved to be a very good decision for him. But just hearing him walk us through the business, these are sort of the pivotal moments, especially when it leads to a big insight that leads you to a big stock position that does very well. And we have many stories like that. Joe and I went in Dallas. We met with a small company that owned royalty basically on oil production in the region. And they've never had any investors visit them. There was no sell side coverage. They rolled big maps in front of us. And we realized, wow, those guys own the land where everybody else is saying they want to drill. So that proved to be also like a, a nice discovery that just was kind of under the radar and a, and a very profitable investment. So there's plenty of these stories across. They don't come every week, unfortunately, but there's a few of these key meetings that really matter. And maybe it's a follow-up question for you, Joe. Nick mentions the research, the different levels of research. You're in the field, you're in the mall, you're at your desk looking at these spreadsheets. It seems like a lot of information, which is great, but sometimes it's hard to make investment management decisions. How does how do you as a portfolio manager and the team you know pick one company over another with so much information at hand? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good problem to have, and the reason we have is you just do some big numbers. You have 40 investment professionals here in Canada, 400 investment professionals around the world, 
all like Nick, all amazing, writing research notes, providing updates. Every 30 minutes of the business day, someone's being a CEO reporting back to us. When you get all this information, I think, Quinn, one of the biggest things we do in our industry, you have to decipher what is noise and what is something that we should really focus on. So how do we do that? One thing that's unique about Fidelity, we ask all of our analysts to write three to five key points of their thesis. Write it on the front page of their research note. So Nick will be saying, for instance, I think Shopify is attractive or not attractive because of these three, five key points, and then go into detail why. Peter Lynch, who's uh, hopefully, if you haven't read the book, One Up on Wall Street, amazing book, used to say, if you can't explain your investment thesis to a five-year-old, you don't know what you're talking about. So yes, there's lots of complicated things, but even if it's a big company like Google, we should be able to decipher it very clearly, the three to five key points why this stock will do well in the future or not do well in the future. So I think that's very important just that you get all this information, but you have to be one of the toughest parts of this is actually decipher and decide what is important and what's not important. And that's the gray area that uh, in between the black and white of a lot of facts. The COVID-19 pandemic, you have all this research, you have those bullet points that really support the investment thesis itself. But the pandemic, you know, things happened so rapidly. Information was coming at us in, from all different angles. How did it change the process? Did it change the process at all? And how do you, have you seen kind of companies change and provide information to you for you to make the best investment decisions for Delhi clients? When the, uh, the, the pandemic didn't change anything, it just accelerated what we were doing. So essentially was uh, Nick and I, like we said, we would, you know, fly to Silicon Valley, meet tech companies to the Permian, which is in Texas, and you know, meet oil and gas companies or Calgary or meet bank executives here. Well, what happened now, we just did everything virtually. So our calendar is actually filled up. And so, and the CEOs themselves, because and they don't need to be on the road as much for flying reasons, they can actually have more meetings. So the amount of company access we have has actually gone higher since the pandemic. And number two, the investment process, yeah, I think it's a very good point you said is, you know, has it changed? It has not changed at all. We're getting more inputs involved from a company manager perspective, and we're still doing the same things we were doing before. And luckily, we're just getting more information. And we've been, you know, very fortunate to have the ability to transition very smooth, smoothly to our homes and not miss a beat. So um, luckily, we have already were a global enterprise, already communicating virtually in many aspects, and we just accelerated during the pandemic. And maybe we can apply what you just said, Joe, and I can pass the question along to Nick here. More meetings with the company, more engagement is fantastic. And as your role in the, as an equity research analyst who meets with these companies as part of your role, how did how the pandemic, how did it change for you and how you assess these companies? Yeah, it, it was a crazy time. I had just essentially ramped up on the financial sector like a month or two before the pandemic really hit. And here we were, like credit spreads were blowing up and interest rates were changing rapidly. So I had to completely change a lot of the assumptions that I had made. Thankfully, I was relatively positioned for the end of a credit cycle, but never envisioned something like that hitting. But I think the key things you do as an analyst when these happen, and they'll happen every every couple of years, right, is call your companies even more often. And again, we were able to transition. But when things change fast, you want to be on top of it. And as the analyst, you have in your raw decks, you have the IR and potentially the CEO, CFO, so we had a ton of these calls and they're more useful, I think, than ever. Then it's when you're faced with a lot of uncertainties, probably do scenario analysis. You can't pinpoint the pandemic was shifting every day. But in financials, what I was looking at is how long can these companies survive 
if the financial markets remain shut down? And then how much credit losses would they have to suffer to basically reach a critical level in their balance sheet, right? And if they're, if they can survive six months and they can, they can withstand, you know, the kind of losses we've seen in the financial crisis. And then they're trading probably, you know, near the trough where we've seen in different big downturns probably means they're buys, right? At this point, I can't pinpoint, is it going to be a one month shock or a six month? But, you know, you kind of want to do this, these scenarios. And just be open-minded as well. It's very humbling when you see these extreme events. But uh, some people were, you know, positioned well going into the downturn and then they, they, they were proven right. But there was also a quick recovery, right? And sometimes they were, you know, if you feel good about your call, but you've got to realize they may change. So uh, I remember as early as May or June, I was sending emails to the team saying like, look, it seems like disposable incomes are actually higher now than they were before the pandemic. Even despite all the gloom and we're still at home, the government is spending a lot of money. People don't have to make their mortgage payments, so they're accumulating savings. So there was these things that were changing really by the month. So you just got to re- stay really open-minded and then really communicate with the team. Thanks, Nick. And it, it sounds like being open-minded is a key part of you know your role, especially in uh, pandemic times, but probably at all times as information and, and things change. Joe, maybe I'll pass this question to you because I've asked Nick this question about his role. But as a portfolio manager and a director of research, you know, leading this research analyst team, we have one of our audience members today asking, you know, what does your day to day look like? How do you manage your time as obviously a busy person? Yeah, the the day to day is always different. So that's something that uh, a lot of people love about this industry. It's, It's very intellectually stimulating. Um, that's a nice way of saying it. it's very challenging. You, there always could be something government coming up, like a government change, a CEO abruptly quits, there's a pandemic that happens, and you have to make all these decisions. You know, a pandemic happens. Do you think people are going to buy less iPhones or more iPhones? And what's your judgment? And you can do a lot of financial analysis, but you have to make a lot of judgments. So the actual calendar, we filled it a lot with CEO meetings, these days virtual, and uh, but in the past it was in person. Number two would be meeting with the analysts. The analysts, uh, I think, do an f- amazing job. I, I'm very fortunate to have the best Canadian analysts in, 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 on our team here. They do a great job. So we have a lot of conversations with them and debating these issues and going, you know, does this change your thesis? Does it strengthen it? Another big bucket, number three, is looking at financial numbers and looking at going, okay, let's do scenario analysis. You know, what could this company earn? What could Shopify look like 10, 20 years down the road? It's a tough one, right? Even Amazon, no one thought they'd be in the cloud business a few years ago. And now they're in the cloud and advertising business, right? And then lastly, I would say is taking time to think and and just to read in general, because there's a lot of analysis going on and your brain, you know, has to be challenged in many different ways in terms of almost the art of it and the science of it and deciphering, you know, where we should make our investments for our clients and also to one of the subtle things when you get deeper into the investment industry is not just what you buy, but how much you buy on behalf of your clients. So, okay, so it should be 1% of the portfolio or 5 or 10% of the portfolio. And that's a big dis- difference. And so now you're getting into what's the risk reward? Yes, this is a good company. It could go up a lot, but it also could go down a lot. So that maybe there's a company that doesn't go, can you have similar or maybe a little less upside, but less risk? And so these are a lot of variables. So. Those are some of the big buckets, a lot of management meetings, a lot of talking to our uh, analysts, talking to other uh, investment professionals in the group and taking time to, to do a lot of reading as well in my own analysis. And I guess I'll add, and on top of all of that, you also, as a director of research, you know, in, you meet with a lot of university students who have questions about 
career roles in the investment management team. And maybe I can transition our conversation a little bit to investment management and early career roles here at Fidelity. What advice, Joe, would you recommend to our audience members today who are interested in investment management? What advice would you give them to prepare them for a potential role in investment management and applying for a role? Nick and I are very fortunate to be part of this industry. We love it. It's amazing and it's treated us really well. So how did how would someone get here? I think there's maybe three, first of all, three big things I would look for for someone coming in. Number one is intelligence. And intelligence is street smarts and book smarts. So book smarts is more your GPA. The street smarts will show up more in the interview when we ask questions. Again, this is a business that's not just about the science, but also the art of investing. Number two would be work ethic. It's not an easy job like many jobs. So we're looking for in your uh, resume and maybe your uh, references, you know, how hard did you work? Did you have a high workload? Did you excel? And lastly, we like nice people. You know, we cannot stress that enough, but we have to have people have a positive attitude to work well with others because we're very, we are very close in a team. And if we get from references or past experiences with yourself that are negative, that you don't like working well with individuals, you're not the type of person that would fit our culture. So if you're a university student or even high school, whoever, whatever place you are at in your career, how would you get there? I think focus on your grades, your GPA is it will be a differentiator. We don't have a hard cutoff, but again, it's a very easy way for at least recruiters to see who's excelling at school. And again, that doesn't mean you'll have success in the next level or not, but at least it gives you one kind of benefit. I would be joining investment clubs at school. It's a great way to learn. I would uh, try to get co-op jobs in the investment industry, if not, maybe a tangent of it, maybe working at a bank, maybe working for a private equity firm, a venture capital firm. There's lots of different areas of it. Fidelity does an amazing job of not just recruiting for the investment management industry, but we have intern roles and full-time roles in sales and marketing and finance and human resources. There's other different tangents if you like this industry. And lastly, I would say, I think what's really, uh, I think what's amazing the last few years is the opportunity to learn. There's so much you can do on yourself in terms of self-learning. You be at YouTube, be at podcasts, be at read invest in books. Uh, that part of the industry has definitely gone to a higher level. And Nick is very uh, humble. He won't say this. He is one of only three people that was an intern only after two years of university. We usually only get people after three years of university. Why? Because when he interviewed Nick, he had done so much self-learning already outside of the classroom he was at the level of a third or fourth year student. So that's the kind of thing that if you really want to impress someone, there's a lot out there that if you want to take advantage of, it, it will definitely benefit your chances. Show that interest, show that passion, and show that you've, that you've put the work in to really understand uh, the companies and the world around you. And maybe Nick, as Joe brought up your own experience, you know, you're a proud alumnus of McGill University and you became an equity research intern only after two years of university. Can you speak to the kind of, that skill set, you know, your colleagues who are now analysts, can you apply what Joe said about what the skill set needed and how you've used that to your advantage in your role? I think attributes of a good analyst. First of all, I think the, the good analysts keep asking why. And if you ask why enough, a few great insight, I think we're looking for people who are very driven. You know, it's a very competitive business. So you need to basically, if you want to get an edge or you need to uh, probably work harder, and we're looking for analytical people. You need to ultimately be able to translate some of your work, your insights into numbers and frameworks that are actionable, be able to communicate. And that's not necessarily 
speak to a large audience. It's being able to be efficient and communicating, as Joe mentioned earlier, take something complex and narrow it down to three or five bullet points. You know, always asking why is a very important question that not, not always is, is, is asked there. So thanks, Nick. That's very good feedback. Maybe, Joe, I'd like to ask you a question based on what you just said. You want to showcase that broad range of skill set, that interest, that passion, but then you only you got to do it in a small amount of time in an interview setting. So how can students what, what does a typical interview look like and how can students do a good job of telling their story in such a smaller time packed bit of time? When one of the things I would say, first of all, is try to get as much experience doing interviews as possible. I think some of the smarter students take advantage of the co-op programs or the career services at their school and do mock interviews. And sometimes it's the worst thing in the world, but when a camera's, you know, recording you and then you have to watch it afterward, it's a great learning lesson. So just doing more interviews, either mock or real ones will definitely help you. Number one. Number two is be prepared. And so especially our industry, and again, you should expect this from private equity, venture capital, you know, some of the banks will do similar, be ready to pitch stocks. And so one of the advices I would give is that try, try to stay in your sandbox, right? If you want to pitch a biotech company or some high-flying tech company that's very complicated, go for it. But I would suggest as a university student, why don't you just take something you can put your arms around? I understand Lululemon or I understand Loblaws and maybe pitch that. It might be just easier as opposed to stepping out. But you should be able to pitch a stock. You should be able to say, this is a good business and why. This is what I think of the management team. The valuation I think is attractive and here's why. So those are just three quick ones. Is this a good business? Is management well aligned with us? Is valuation attractive? And just know some of the basics of the company and be able to pitch in a very coherent way. I would be ready for at least one or two probably stock pitches. I would be ready just also to be in, do analysis on companies. Like how do you value a company, right? That, that could be a question you would be given and you would have to do analysis on that. They would also maybe ask, okay, financially, there's certain things we look at, maybe on a balance sheet or income statement. Why is that? Why is working capital important? Why is leverage important? Why, what is return on equity? What does it mean? These are financial terms that you'll probably learn in your investment teams or clubs or your experience or hopefully actually in your finance classes. And I think one of the last things that probably you'll ask too is just be ready to talk about the market. You know, what do you think is going on in the stock market? Is there any kind of big secular themes going on? Is there anything that interests you in the stock market? Because again, if you're trying to show passion, those kind of people will get sometimes a very simple question and they'll run with it because they'll be like, I've been reading a newspaper all these years, or I haven't just brushed up on the news till the past week. And they'll be able to comment saying, you know, this is my view on interest rates. This is my view on what's going on in tech companies. This is a very interesting theme that's going on in the payment space right now that I think are, is not very well covered in the newspapers. These are the, the individuals that make it to the next round. These are kind of the things that we brought up. Nick? Joe talked earlier about the importance of curiosity and gathering information and sometimes outside of just reading and reading and reading from books and whichever, what you know, books or sources would you recommend students read to build their skills, skills and knowledge? So my latest read is, uh, is a book called uh, Atomic Habits. It's more about developing good habits, getting rid of bad habits and all these things compound. So it's not directly related to investment, but as investment, the investment management industry is high pressure. So you need to have your, your, your life kind of very well sorted. So that, I think that's, that's a great one at any age you can pick up in terms of directly related to investment. Some books I've liked. One is uh, called Capital Returns 
It's written by a hedge fund. Very interesting because it's the perspective of a practitioner. You see their meeting notes of companies and it, that'll help you understand what's a good business, what's a bad business. How does the capital cycle work uh, in terms of knowing if the, the more about management teams? The outsiders is a, is a classic looking at some, again, real life cases of exceptional management teams. And the last one I'd flag is um, a book called um, Best Practices for Equity Research Analysts. So the title kind of tells what it is. Uh, I think it's it also from a practitioner. I think it was the head of research at Morgan Stanley. But things like how do I do a model? How do I do an investment thesis? How do I you know, uh, get to an inf differentiated view. Like all these things are in that book. Very practical advice if you're interested in a, in a career in this space. Joe, maybe I'll put the last question to you as we wrap up. You were you came out of school at Laurier. You had a lot of skills. You probably applied to many different places. Why did you choose Fidelity? And you know, maybe you could tell our audience, you know, why Fidelity be a great place to start start your career. Yeah, number one for me was the people. You'll learn if you haven't learned already is like the investment industry, much like many industries, the differentiators of people and their intelligence and, and the culture. And, and I, when I came across people, very blunt, when I went to Boston for my interviews in my second round, it blew me away. I interviewed with the portfolio managers there. And I, I remember coming home on the flight going, I want to work there. I'd been through many interviews already at that point in time. And I was, you know, lucky to get some offers. But I was just like blown away by just the intelligence of them and just people. I, I felt like I could work with them. I felt like I could respect them as individuals. And uh, so I was very fortunate to get the offer uh, back then in, in 2002. And then number two was the resources. Once you get to Fidelity, you realize it's it is amazing. Again, 400 investment professionals around the world. People like Nick just doing an amazing job. They make your life so much easier as an analyst and as a PM, because we're all working as a unit and the resources globally, especially when you sit in Toronto are just unprecedented. So they, they allow me to do my job properly for my clients. And so when you sum it up, you have some great people, you have some great resources. Nick and I are just very fortunate to be part of it. Thanks, Joe. And I can echo just to wrap up that you guys are both exceptional colleagues for joining me here on Fidelity Next on this Thursday. Thank you so much for joining us and giving everybody in our audience a really great glimpse of what the investment management industry and the investment management team's role at Fidelity. So thank you for joining us. Thanks, Quinn. Thanks for having us. If you're interested in, in co-op positions or new graduate roles, visit fidelity.ca or look at your local university or college job board for more details. My name is Quinn Clarity. Thank you for joining us in Fidelity Next, and I'll see you next time on the show. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Next podcast, brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada. You can visit fidelity.ca for details on future live webcasts, follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a review or a five-star rating. Thanks. See you next time.